0: I'm going to go out of my comfort zone here and tell you about a new initiative that I have created because I really believe in the integrity of this podcast. And I want to keep it as authentic as possible and remain being able to offer you the most honest, open conversations I can. I also want to offer you lots of advice, tools, and techniques to help you move forward while you're navigating this new chapter with ADHD. And as you can probably tell, this podcast takes up quite a lot of my time, my brain, my resources, and of course, money takes a lot to produce the podcast. It I get it edited and to get it out for you every single week. And I'm not a huge fan of advertising and sponsoring in the podcast. Um, obviously I do do it. And whenever I do, I always use sponsors that I really believe in that have been curated by me and to make sure they are always connected with wellbeing and ADHD. And if I've used it as a product, I want to tell you about it. However, it is quite difficult to sustain this because I have to actively go out and find these sponsors myself, which also takes time. So I've come up with an idea and I will just put it out there and see what you guys think. I've created a gratitude link. So if you head to the show notes of this podcast and you can donate whatever you feel is right towards the production and the continuation of this podcast, because I really want to keep bringing it to you every single week. And I know from the many messages I get every single week, how helpful it is and what a great resource it's been for you while you go on this diagnosis journey and start understanding and learning about yourself. And as much as it helps you, I know this podcast has helped me more because I get to speak to the most incredible guests, but it does take time out of my working day as well as my kids and speaking to clients. And I want to make sure it's really high quality. It's great audio and it's a pleasurable experience for you. So if you appreciate the podcast, you feel like it helps you a lot, and you appreciate everything it's done for you and you'd like it to continue i would absolutely love it if you donated whatever feels right to you and i will put the gratitude link in the show notes and um, it's there if you want it and if not here's this week's episode and i really hope you enjoy it take care welcome to the adhd women's well-being podcast i'm kate moore youssef and i'm a well-being and lifestyle coach eft practitioner mum to four kids and passionate about helping more women to understand and accept their amazing ADHD brains. After speaking to many women just like me and probably you, I know there is a need for more health and lifestyle support for women newly diagnosed with ADHD. In these conversations you'll learn from insightful guests, hear new findings and discover powerful perspectives and lifestyle tools to enable you to live your most fulfilled, calm life. And purposeful life wherever you are on your ADHD journey. Here's today's episode. So, hi everyone, welcome back to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. And um, today we are talking law. We are talking forward thinking in an industry that perhaps isn't renowned for forward thinking people. And we have Jody Hill, who is the um, founder of Thrive Law. She's a leading expert in diversity, mental health, and she is a lecturer. She's an author. And the most important thing is that she has ADHD, and she is so forward-thinking and innovative in the whole industry that I just wanted to bring her onto the podcast and really kind of take a bit of a deep dive into breaking out of the box into, in an industry that I don't know that well, but I presume doesn't... Um, I don't know. Maybe doesn't welcome in sort of new um, new ways of thinking. Am I right, Jodie? Is that all correct? Yes, that is all
1: correct. And yeah, I suppose uh, to a degree that that is is right in terms of the the profession itself. In that, as a profession, it's it's you know it was very very traditional. Um, it still has a lot of traditional things that are quite entrenched in the way that law is practiced. So there are some firms being more innovative and, and more open minded. But I think as a profession, there's a lot of lip service rather than actually things you know happening in accordance with what they're saying is happening when it comes to diversity and inclusion especially neurodiversity it's like not on the radar really
0: it's mad isn't it because you think that you know people who are working maybe in in this profession where there are you have to be passionate about the the sectors that you work in Uh, and the fact that you sort of talk about being an advocate in um, diversity in well-being and mental health I can't imagine that you're you know, you're one of the few and far between who are neurodivergent in in law. So why does it feel that you're doing something, you're sort of breaking out the box a little bit, and especially the fact that you sort of founded um a law firm that feels a little bit different maybe you can tell us a little bit about Thrive Law and and what's different about it
1: yeah of course so I think partly why I why I'm kind of on this mission is is from my own lived experience so to give some context about six years ago in fact it's Thrive Law's birthday today five five years old today when we're recording this so um about six years ago I had a mental breakdown and left the profession and that that took me on a bit of a journey of you know did I even want to be a lawyer if I'm in a profession that doesn't really care about this stuff and then the stubborn part of me was like well I'll just set up my own law firm obviously there was a bit in between where I've um, had to go through significant recovery and kind of rebuilding my resilience from the breakdown but in a moment of madness, I like to say, set up my own firm five years ago today. And the idea behind that was that I could create a firm where I felt psychologically safe, but also that we'd attract lawyers who felt the same. And because we specialize in employment law, we're able to understand the whole spectrum of the people experience. So everything from, you know, all the way going to tribunal, and then right at the beginning of like that whole piece where we onboard someone, and we make sure that they understand and they communicate in the right way. So that kind of came about and I, I would say a little bit little bit selfishly because it was for me to make sure that I was safe but as that's grown we've attracted other people who've moved from big firms and said you know this is what we need and in fact I, I had two people apply this week who were from big firms in, in the city and they were saying do you have any vacancies I was like well no not at the moment and they were like well do you know any other firms like you because we can't find any I was like no that's why I set up on my own and and really the the need for me was to have that or I suppose that authentic link between well being and diversity inclusion in our culture, um, but also mm-hmm. meaning that that was infiltrated into the advice that we were giving so it 's not just how we are as people in the firm, but it 's also embedded into the advice we give to clients and it 's like that full circle really and and then I suppose the ADHD thing kind of came about later on because it was actually a lockdown and people a lot of people had to slow down in lockdown and my body slowed down, but my brain didn't. Um, and uh-huh. I got a diagnosis about two years ago and I've always had an indication. I might have some tendencies, but since I've had that diagnosis, it's te- sent me on another path, which is even further into the diversity piece where we were already in you know, the neurodiversity space talking about this from an employment law perspective and training. But because I then had this experience of innate diagnosis and medication and this whole new world, that took me even deeper into the neurodiversity space. And especially with ADHD, um, so I'm just really starting to, obviously, it's been a few years now, but really starting to talk as, as much as I can openly about that to encourage people to get the support they need. So that's kind of it in a nutshell, really. Yeah. Um, but there's, there's, a lot, there's a lot there um, in, in the sense of, you know, diversity and inclusion is such a big space, but the bits that I am particularly passionate about are mental health and neurodiversity.
0: I feel like a lot of people are going to be resonating with this story. I mean, I know I do. Um, you know, it doesn't matter what profession you are when you have some form of um, breakdown. I know that you sort of referred it as your breakthrough what I'm curious about is when this happened, um, and clearly it sounds really dreadful and awful, I, do you know what contributed? Was it burnout? Was it working in a in a way that obviously didn't suit your brain? Was it pressure? Was it overwhelm? Or was there other things contributing from all angles, which clearly sort of maybe led to this ADHD diagnosis a few years, years later? So it, it was a combination of a few things. I already had PTSD and
1: anxiety. So I was being um, treated for that in the sense that I was on medication, I'd had years of therapy. And that compounded with the culture that wasn't the right culture, I suppose an unsupportive environment, Um, but also an environment where, you know, especially in the legal sector, it's very much how much do you bill? Um, you know, how much work can you get done in the day? And you know, you don't really have the opportunity to have a bad day because everything is time recorded by the hour. So it really created quite a difficult environment. So when I was struggling with insomnia and I was unable to, you know, some days I was only able to sleep for like an hour and I'd have to come in and, and draft really complex documents, and that became such a struggle that you know, that, that concept of powering through when you when you simply don't have the energy to do that that basically culminated in me having some time off which was the first time I'd ever had any time off and then I realized that actually I had to leave that environment because the guilt and the shame that came with having time off was eating me alive like it was awful and I get that that was my that's my brain doing that but equally I definitely empathize with with some of my clients who who are in those positions you know as an employment lawyer and they say oh you know this is how I feel this is how the workplace is making me feel Mm. I certainly can see well firsthand how how that does feel and and I think that's the that's really the catalyst for the for the change and, and also for the preventative stuff that people need to put in place in organizations rather than waiting for this po- point and albeit yes I've turned the adversity into something positive but not everybody is able to do that and yeah you know we, we want to avoid people getting to the point of a breakdown and and try to create these cultures where actually it's more um, around how we can support people for, and avoid those things
0: happening. It feels like it, there's so much that needs, you know, the, this changing and evolving. Um, we're still sort of, you know, re- at the relative early stages when we talk about, you know, diversity and inclusion. I wonder how many big law firms have got that, you know, set up. I wonder yeah. how, you know, like you say, it's sort of lip service when we're talking yeah. about mental health and well-being and big corporates. I mean, I speak to clients all the time who are desperate to leave their corporate jobs yeah. because, They have got this ADHD diagnosis. They've got a long history of having to take time out for for their mental health. They have experienced burnout several times. Their physical health is suffering. They have anxiety, sleep problems. And then they get the diagnosis of ADHD and they understand that they're, like you say, that the culture and the work environment and the people, it what didn't feel supportive, it felt totally alien to the way their brain wants to work. And it's a massive shift, isn't it? Because Mm -hmm. for you to then set up your own law firm and hopefully be able to feel it, like you're in a safe space and you're able to work according to how you work best. And obviously then inviting other people in and, and hoping that they enjoy this environment as well. It feels very few and far between. And I just wonder how, I mean, do you get people coming to you going, how do you do it? Like, how can yeah. I do this? I want to, I want to be you and I want to work in the law sector, but I don't want to be in the conformities and the, and the boxes that, the industry wants to put us in yeah we do we actually do get a lot of people
1: asking that and and so we've i've started doing consultancy work helping people create these cultures within their own workplaces so if it's a business owner or someone wants to set their own firm up or their own business where they want this type of culture I've just started helping people with it. And a lot of it is, is, for me, it just seems really obvious, but clearly it isn't that obvious to some people. And again, that's probably my ADHD brain, just looking straight at it going, well, that's obvious. Um, whereas, uh, you know, most people are kind of going, well, where do we start? and I personally think it starts with us like we have to be super self-aware which doesn't come naturally when you're ADHD as well so you know we have to really work on that self-awareness piece so that we're aware of our own our own triggers what we need to do to look after ourselves but also that in our colleagues and our clients so I think that awareness piece is really important but there are there's definitely been a shift you know since lockdown there's been a shift of the priority of, of looking at things like diversity and inclusion, neurodiversity and specifically mental health in the workplace, there's been a shift in terms of that moving up the, the agenda for businesses and, you know, allocating specific budgets to try and support with that. So thinking about training and things like that, where you're educating people, because that's what this comes down to. It's You know, a lot of the time it's people just don't understand why you're doing things differently or why you're behaving differently to how they would automatically respond or behave in a situation um, and I think when you build yeah. that awareness and understanding, it's a much kinder
0: environment for everyone to work in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you're sort of like breaking down those um, those barriers and being a bit more vulnerable and talking about, mm. you know, your challenges and how you prefer to work and how your brain wants to, you know, operate. And I mean, I, I've i noticed it over the past few years on LinkedIn and I'm not on their loads, but I have noticed that on LinkedIn, there is a lot more conversation now about neurodivergence in the workplace. Um that people are being more open about, you know, diagnoses, whether it's, you know, depression, anxiety, autism, ADHD. And it feels like, oh my goodness, like it has to take, you know, a global pandemic for people to kind of like drop their guard a little bit and be like, you know what, I, I am suffering and I am at the top of my game, but here's what, you know, what I'm dealing with as well. Do you get people coming to you sort of, you know, um, telling you, you know anonymously or you know on the on the quiet you know I've been diagnosed with with neurodivergence ADHD autism whatever mm. and I'm scared to talk about it in the workplace I'm scared for people to know because I'm really successful or I'm running this or I'm, I'm running a, a team and there's still not that acceptance there and and I guess what what do you foresee happening in the future in this situation? Yeah definitely
1: happens still I think more so people are happier happier and i say happier because there's still a lot of stigma around mental health but there's a more openness and accepting um kind of the stories around mental health because we've been sharing those for longer i think with because there are less people who are open about say adhd diagnosis even though it has increased recently um i still get that i get a lot of dms where people will say thanks to you i've now gone and got a diagnosis and i'm getting the help that i need and but i'm still not there In the kind of realms of sharing this with my employer, have you got any tips on how I should deal with that? And so it's interesting because people are at very different stages, and I think especially when someone has a late diagnosis, because it's a change in you know their ordinary way of communicating with their employer, they probably never mentioned it or even spoken about it before. So now to come out with it, a lot of employers will go, "Oh, well, you didn't tell us about this before," and it's kind of having to go through all of that. And if someone's found the late diagnosis Mm -hmm. difficult, then that's quite hard to do because you're being judged basically for you know for having this diagnosis and it's not actually your fault mm-hmm. if anything i mean i found the whole process actually quite positive and that was mainly because i've had a lot of treatment in the past for for mental ill health but i had i wasn't on any medication and and i was when i went through this process it's actually during lockdown so i saw someone on zoom and did it on online but the whole process just gave me a new level of self-awareness that made me more kind to myself because I was, to be honest, I was being really hard on myself when I forgot certain things or interrupted people in a meeting or got to the point where, you know, missed a flight or whatever just due to organisation issues. So those things, and I used to really be, why so stupid? Like I used to say these mm. things to myself. It's like you wouldn't say that to somebody else. But when I had the diagnosis and I read the report, it like something just like the penny dropped and it just made a lot yeah. more sense me as to why I am the way I am and, and to be honest I wish I'd known it earlier because I would have been able to put things in place to help myself earlier
0: yeah I mean I totally agree I was exactly the same and for me it was like oh my god the relief the relief of knowing okay mm. there's the, it's not me being stupid and exactly the same that the inner talk the inner self-critic was very mm. very strong and sometimes it just come back and I'm like no, no no okay you know why you're doing this and you know what's happening and the self-awareness is, is there sometimes it is you have to catch yourself and you do have to be like no no this is why you're overwhelmed you know this is why your nervous system feels the way it does at the moment and I do struggle with a jam-packed diary and so as life is getting busier work's getting busier my diary's getting busier and I notice it all happening in my body and so I have to be really sort of intentional and conscious about my diary because I know the impact that has and and um again it's like those little things where before i'd be like what's wrong with you everyone works everyone's got a jam-packed diary you know this is this is just life and so now i kind of have a bit more compassion about that and kind of understand that my nervous system is way more sensitive and that is why i need to have a lot more lot more buffers in my diary i need to have a lot more space a bit more time um and i try and take that pressure off myself from an ambition ambitious perspective where i want to do it all and be it all and have it all and write the books and be do the podcast <laughs> and serve my clients and I know that I can't do that I know that that's just not possible so my restless ADHD brain which just keeps wants to keep moving and doing and um, and I can sort of see that um, maybe those tendencies in you that you have yeah. so much passion and you know as we all know that we have a strong sense of justice and, and our morals and especially if you're working in law you probably see yourself as this advocate But we are so prone to burnout, aren't we, that we have to kind of almost pull the brakes a little bit and just go, okay, right, like breathe. okay. I know I want to do it all, but I can't do it all in in one go and prioritizing, which again, isn't easy for us. So we have these amazing brains, but we often have to tame them in a way that's not going to have an impact on our mental health. I'm delighted to say I have a new podcast sponsor, Loop Earplugs. And if you are anything like me who has noise sensitivity while trying to concentrate or can hear most low level noises such as a clock ticking or a fridge whirring, it can really stir up our sensory overload. The loop earplugs allow you to tune out of this outside noise, especially if your sensory output is sensitive. Sometimes I need to reduce the outside stimulus to help me focus, relax or sleep. And from the age of about 10 or 11, I've always had to use earplugs at night just to be able to calm the constant noise that's going on inside my head and prevent me from picking up on the slightest external noise. Now, with earplugs, my brain feels quieter and my nervous system can rest It's hard to describe it as anything else, just less outside stimulus helps my brain feel relaxed. And the loop quiet are especially effective in helping me find some calm when there's a lot of noise in my environment. So if you are a commuter and find the sensory overload on a train or a bus or a plane is overstimulating or in the office perhaps, and you, f- you want something more discreet that doesn't stand out, then the loop earplugs are fantastic for this. I also really like the loop engage because they just help me turn down some of the background noises to help me focus, kind of like a ritual where my loop earplugs are in, my brain goes into focus mode. And the loop engage are a different type of earplug that reduces less, filters the noise and keeps the conversation sharp. Now loop earplugs are designed to make all sounds less intense so we can hear what's happening around us but it allows us to process the sensory inputs at a pace our brain prefers without reacting to every little noise. The earplugs also look very cool, very subtle as well and they are easy to clean and importantly come in different interchangeable sizes so you'll always find a size that fits comfortably. And because I looped, love these Loop earplugs so much, I've asked for a discount for you all. So here it is, it's LoopXWW for 15% off. So head to loopearplugs.com and enter the code LoopXWW. And i will put all the details on the show notes. Head to loopearplugs.com, enter the code x you'll be able to get that discount. Now back to today's podcast. For you who does want to be an advocate and wants to help and you're running a law, a law firm which is priding itself on forward thinking and innovation and disrupting um, the sector how do you have that downtime where do you come in and go right no Jodie it's all too <laughs> much I need to I need to take a step back what, what do you do?
1: God, I'm laughing because I try really hard <laughs> with this and I fully echo what you're saying about the that I want to do everything now like when when I'm working I'm and I'm in a hyper-focused flow I am having the best time like I literally love what I do and I, and that everyone's always like you always seem on a high like you're always and to be honest I'm a really positive person and I am however because it doesn't feel like work and because I'm so passionate and because I want to affect change sometimes I do find that if I allow myself into those hyper-focused states, I can then end up going for hours without a break and that's obviously really not good for me. So I've had to put quite a few things in place um, to, to support me with that. So every, like my diary's blocked out to walk my dogs at a certain time, my diary's blocked out to do yoga at a certain time. Yoga's so important for me to slow down. I am Described as ten million miles an hour brain, Jodie, because people just can't keep up, and that exhausts everybody else as well. <laughs> yes. um, so, I so I struggle with with that sometimes, and I do have to remember to to slow down, even just the way that I communicate things and like how much I can do in a day is ridiculous. And people are like, how did you do all of that in one day? But if I'm, mm. but it's because I enjoy it. I enjoy it, and as you know, ADHD. If you enjoy something, you hyperfocus. You it's like absolute superpower. However you then forget to eat or go to the toilet or you know rest so having the blocks in my diary does help because it pings up and tells me um, and I've started using reminders on my phone recently actually I didn't even realize you could do this when you get in and out of a car or in and out of a building it pops up to say do this so I've started doing that to try and help me mm. to breathe um, because actually part of the challenge I've found when I'm a lot more adhd than because uh, obviously I, you have days where you're more adhd than others and on those days it's usually because i've had a packed diary and i haven't exercised so if, if i make sure i exercise every day and i make sure that i'm you know making sure i'm moving burning off some of that energy somewhere then i find that it's much easier for me to slow down and have a bit of self-care if i don't i'm so wired before i go to bed i don't sleep properly so it's that kind of balance and I also make time every weekend to have like, and this is what I've really struggled with, make time every weekend to put um, nothing in my diary for a day. Now I say it in that way because sometimes it does get stuff put in because if I, if I don't put it in my diary, I'll forget. But say like I'm going, I don't know, meeting a friend and doing something on a walk or whatever. I try not to like plan a time and cause I'm a bit obsessed with like planning things by a certain, de- certain time and a certain day. So I know what's happening, but that, doesn't allow me to rest properly so the only rest that I tend to have is is like the is blocked out time for rest I have to like block it out of my diary and that in my for some reason in my head makes me go right you need to chill here so I've actually started reading more and I'm doing yoga like five times a week at the minute and I've had a lot of people say to me that I seem a lot calmer and I'm able to listen a bit better <laughs> because actually if you've got excess energy and you can't Put that anywhere when you're sat behind a desk all day, you are going to be super distracted when you're when you're you know in meetings with people. Like it's so hard to stay focused anyway, let alone when you haven't you know been outside and exercised and 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 breathed. If we're just breathing right from the top of our chest all the time, like that's that's kind of where we live in this world. So yeah, I found I found that those things have helped me to to manage. Um, But but I've got to say, like I had a bad week last week, and actually. That's because I had a two-week two-week holiday. I was so supercharged. I had all these ideas. I came back and I just hit it too hard when I came back. I was just too excited and I need to know. Yeah. I need to like calm down. <laughs> <laughs> um, but equally I was like, well, you know, that's I'm gonna have these ups and downs. And and you know, life's not life isn't linear. ADHD certainly makes it less linear. And then when you couple that with anxiety, you know, I'm I'm not I'm not gonna always be able to do the things I want to do. But if I can try and block it out and be kind to myself, then that for me is enough. And that's all I can expect from myself. And I think that lowering the expectations does actually help us. And we actually end up doing more self-care because of that.
0: Yeah. Oh, my God. Totally. I mean, the, what you're saying about the yoga is it's amazing. I mean, you're just so lucky that five days a week, I wish I could do five days a week. But sometimes if I just do like five minutes of yoga stretching on the floor in the morning, mm-hmm. that is sometimes what i need and i was speaking to someone yesterday kim rain who is a business um coach for for women with adhd entrepreneurs and founders and business owners. she's fantastic and she says she's got this mantra call and she says this um every single morning is body before business mm-hmm. so basically it just means that you to make to be the most productive person you are and your business we need to take care of our body and our brain and you know whether that is yoga going for a walk some breath work stretching because if we go full pelt into our emails the minute we wake up like you say we forget to eat we forget to breathe that is it's only going to catch up on us up on us because it always does like we can't escape the adhd and like you say yeah. we have these good weeks and these bad weeks and the good weeks when we kind of look back retrospectively we can see okay what have i done here i've not packed my diary i've not overcommitted. i've had more time to to breathe stretch walk I've maybe done something fun. You know, I've seen a friend. I've relaxed. I've read a book, you know. And these little tiny things, that doesn't have to be sort of sitting there on your bed for hours reading a book. It doesn't have to be three hours of yoga, but it's just being more intentional because the way you're describing yourself, I mean, I totally relate because we have all these ideas. We want to go 100 miles an hour. It's kind of like that excitable puppy, you know, when you walk through the door and the dog's (laughs) just like, And it's totally being like that all day in your head which is just bloody knackering and like you say for other people if they're sort of neurotypical and we're kind of like do this let's do that let's change this it's just exhausting and unsustainable um you know and and law, whatever um sector you work in when you are a business owner and you are wanting to you know really create big things I don't see how we can't like our mental health and our well-being can't be just as important as you know checking our accounts you know selling your products well surely surely they're more important because we don't have a law
1: firm without our lawyers so if we don't look after the lawyers uh, if the lawyers don't look after their mental health and obviously the whole the whole of the team but you know let's generalize and say they're called lawyers but the reality is we're a service industry so without the people we don't have a business so why do you not put people at the top of your agenda before profits i don't understand that like it just it it blows my mind i'm like but you wouldn't have a business without these people so why do you not want to understand how these people work and just going back to your point about the the body um body before business piece and it's interesting that that concept because what i've uh what i've do is I get up at five a.m. and I used to get up and work really, really early. But actually, what I do now is I get up at five. I'll walk the dogs. I'll go to the gym. I'll journal. Then I'll get ready for work um, after I've had my breakfast. So the first couple of hours is my time, and nobody can take that from me because no one's awake yet. So that's good. <laughs> um, and then, and then the the other side of it is the yoga I tend to do on an evening. And the reason for that is because it's it allows me to shut down a little bit. So I find that if I just work all afternoon and then just stop and then go to bed that I well I can't just go to bed it just doesn't work for me so I have to have a couple of hours where I'm winding down and find that doing yoga in that time even if it's just 10 minutes you know just to calm the breath down and slow the whole parasympathetic nervous system down then that for me is like the perfect day if I can get up and do those things and you know some days I don't get to exercise every day but I'll just I'll walk the dogs you know I'll go for a walk or I'll get outside but if you bookend the day like that, I feel like it doesn't matter how chaotic the day is because you've got control over the, the beginning and the end yeah. of
0: it. Yeah, I went on your um, Instagram and I love reading all your posts and everything. And I do, I think they're really inspiring. And I know you've got like the spiritual side of you as well. You love reading lots of spiritual books, which I was looking yeah. at them and I was thinking, oh, you've got the same taste in books. Oh, um, I noticed that. <laughs> you're super glamorous. You've got like amazing tattoos. Yeah. And- <laughs> I'm just interested to know what the, when you say to people, I'm a lawyer, I own my own law firm. Do you still get that very sort of like stigma of people going, what? Like, you don't look like you own a law firm or is that, does that not happen anymore?
1: Oh yeah it definitely happens and also because I'm relatively young for a law firm owner so I think the average age of a law firm owner is like 50 to 60 and I was 29 when I set up so then not only do I not look like a lawyer it's also like the age thing The kind of like how can you have your own firm and it's, it's mainly because of how law firms are, like we were saying right at the beginning they're so traditional in the way that they're set up and so many women leave the law and very few people with disabilities are in leadership roles so you know having you know, two disabilities that I that I can have lived that lived experience from and being a woman allows me to look into that um I suppose the diversity and inclusion piece from a lived experience lens as well as well as looking at that from a lawyer but yeah people always people always say like you don't look like a lawyer I'm like but what do you want me to look like because you know <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what a lawyer looks like anymore and especially because I actually trained as a barrister and you know that that profession compared to the solicitors um side of it is obscenely old school I mean you know they still wear wigs and gowns so but the reality being that, that, you know, it's very elitist st- still and, you know, things like flexibility, well, you can't really just say to a judge, I've got to go pick my kid up, like it just doesn't work or if I need to leave, I can't come in today because of my anxiety. Like judges don't, like the courts don't just stop for that. So it's even worse in that part of the legal profession. Um, so when I moved to the solicitor's um, profession in 10 years ago, it was very much, um, like oh this is actually more you know this feels a little bit more like people kind of get it but still still way behind where other companies and professions were but you still get the especially I think because I'm blonde and I'm quite like I like I like to you know post that I'm on holiday and things like that because what I think is important is that we show our true selves and not just you know what we think everybody should should you know I should look like so when I used to work in a firm I used to wear black pencil dresses and you know looked like a lawyer I tried to look like a lawyer because I had to fit in and if anyone follows me on social they'll see I wear the most ridiculously bright colors now and I've got tattoos on my arm I had tattoos before but you know I hid all of them because I was scared of what people thought now I don't care now I have a sleeve because I don't care whereas before I really really did care and I just wanted to fit in and I I now see I wanted to fit in more than anything because because I had ADHD I didn't know that at the time I clearly have never felt as though I'd fit in anywhere and so if I dressed in a certain way and acted in a certain way and like pretended to like certain music then maybe I would fit and I still didn't fit but because I'm not the same as everybody else and I'm never going to be but I'm now accepting of that and um I think now people say oh you don't look like a lawyer but that's really good because I can relate to you or I wouldn't have expected you to have a law firm. That's really interesting. Talk to me about that. So I feel like the reaction has changed
0: a bit to be a bit more curious as well, which is good. Yeah. I mean, it's so inspiring and, you know, going back to what you said about being a barrister, I mean, that's just, you are opening the door and inspiring other women to, to do the profession of your choice, your passion, but you can still be you. You can still be that authentic self and like embrace all the difference and embrace being a disruptor. And I reckon there's a lot of teenage girls who are looking at you and thinking, if she can do it, I can be a lawyer and I can still look and dress and be who I want to be. Because I've not come across anyone that's similar to you. And I think it's so inspiring. You know, I've got a 15 year old daughter and I don't know what she wants to do, but I just want her to know that she can be who she wants to be and still do whatever she wants to do. And you know, when I was a kid, I had, you know, we had all these kind of like, that's what this person looked like. If you want to do that, you've got to do this. But I mean, I'm interested to know when you were growing up, um, when you were at school. Obviously, you've had to work incredibly hard to get to where you are. Mm. Was there ADHD in the mix there? Did you find it hard for you to study for all these exams? I can't even imagine how many exams you must. have. Yeah. Do you know what? I have no idea how the hell I did it. To be honest, <laughs> I'm going to be frank about it. I travelled a lot
1: when I was when I was young. I had a really weird upbringing because my stepdad was in the army so we moved around a lot so I think my parents kind of put it down to the fact that I wasn't I didn't like have loads of friends and I wasn't really kind of fitting into stuff was because we moved so much so they kind of put it down to that and there was a lot of masking obviously and then I went to boarding school because I got a scholarship to go to boarding school which to be fair I hated to start with but by the end of it I absolutely loved it but that allowed me to kind of work out a little bit who I was so I got a bit more confidence then um however I got really good GCSE so I was kind of on the track for three A's for A level and you know you can go be a lawyer you can go to any university in the UK that you want and had these really high expectations and I just didn't get those grades I ended up going uh, I got two B's and a C which isn't horrendous but obviously when you've got accepted to three A universities um and and I think like looking back now, part of that is, is, is definitely down to the ADHD, but obviously I had no support and no not knowledge at the time. And I was also really struggling with anxiety. But again, at the time, I wasn't diagnosed, I wasn't getting the help. And I think with, the, with hindsight, hindsight's a wonderful thing. Um, you know, perhaps I would have had support in those exams, but I cracked on, went to university through clearing and it's the best thing I ever did because it meant I came to Leeds and... I actually didn't really go, and I probably shouldn't say this on a podcast, but I didn't really go to uni as much as one should. And that was partly because I found the lectures really, really hard to follow. I found them boring, but that's not because the lecturers have done anything wrong. It's just because I can't sit and listen for an hour and a half to someone talk at me information. Like I need to visually see something and be interactive on it. So I found it easier to go through the book and I still went to all the workshops, but I'd go through the 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 textbook and like highlight and pens and colors and and get something visual for myself and did did it that way and then the biggest challenge I'd say was when I trained as a barrister because that's the most intense year of my life like it was so hard but I was in a class with people from Oxford and Cambridge. Like we were all put together in um, a place called BPP Law School in Leeds. And, you know, you're, you're in a class with people from all sorts of universities and backgrounds. So the, the calibre was pretty high. Um, so I definitely felt like I didn't belong there. And I just didn't think in the same way as everybody else thought. Um, but the beauty of the of that course was that it was assessed in a practical way. So I got an amazing result in it because it was assessed by advocacy, like physically delivering advocacy and the judge would you know score you on your actual ability and we had to negotiate with the barrister and then that would be assessed So we had to negotiate and we'll do a conference with the client so because it was quite practical actually I really excelled in that and I loved it like I actually really enjoyed it it was hard don't get me wrong and there was written exams as well but most of it was practical because you're learning to be an advocate in court you're learning to do the role of barrister um so that so that really gave me a really good standing in my training because obviously to, to do a of of it's all written you know everything is you know just exams mm-hmm. exams exams and whilst these exams were difficult because they were assessed in a different way I felt that I was able to really excel in those areas um, so I actually got a really really good mark um, higher than some of the other students which I was really surprised at but I think that's because I'd always been assessed in the same way so it does it does shine a light on like the need for different approaches to assessing people's abilities I think because just because you can't remember everything for an
0: exam doesn't mean that you're not able to do a role. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it just shows, doesn't it? Like, if you know, being practical is just the way our brains like to work. And exactly that it just needs there needs to be a, re, a reform or options or ways of people working in different ways so they can shine in, in the best possible um like that they are and you know just yeah. this, what's going on in the UK and they're talking about um how to increase more doctors in, in the country and they're sort of saying maybe they're going to go to be more of a an apprenticeship of working on the job learning on the job um and I know yeah. there's sort of a mixed opinions on that
1: So it's interesting, actually, because in the legal profession, a couple of years ago, they brought in um, an apprenticeship for lawyers so that you don't have to do all the exams. And I'm like, where was that when I was training? Um, So I actually have an apprentice who I'm training up to be a solicitor. It's a six year programme, but you get a law degree and you're a solicitor at the end. So you work part time, like four days a week and study one day a week. So you're blending um, there are still exams that you have to do but you're blending it with practical experience so it makes the process
0: easier for that individual oh that's brilliant I mean this is where I think that all these industries need to be at now I know they they do similar things to some of the big accountancy firms but just gives other kids who are just as clever and intelligent but just work and learn in a different way options and you know I think what you're doing is so inspiring in, in the space that you're in and um i've been i love listening to you and i love hearing the passion um, before we close i just want to ask you one last question what scaffolding or what um systems do you have in place as a female founder who's got adhd running a busy law firm how do you you know there's a lot of people there go i can't run my own business i can't start my own business because i forget things um i'm disorganized i'm this i'm like what would you suggest or what advice would you give to someone that's listening to this thinking actually i'd really like to leave the corporate run my own company but i'm worried about all the things i can't do all the perceived things i can't do
1: absolutely do it and back yourself because we're our own worst nightmares in terms of the 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 negative self-talk and the reality is i can't do everything what i've done is i've surrounded myself with people who can And I'm aware of what my weaknesses are. I'm aware of what my strengths are and I don't always get it right and that's okay. But I've got people around me who can help me to function at my best because they do the things that I'm rubbish at. Um, So, you know, making sure other people are mindful of when they put things in my diary, like I've got the right information and, you know, if I've got to travel somewhere, making sure that that's in there as well. Otherwise you end up back to back and you can't travel to the next appointment. So things like that, where you know perhaps we don't think about that because we just say yes and it's like everything is now 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 that foresight and having people around you that think differently is, as well is really really important um, but if, if anyone's thinking to set up their own business and they've got um, a real passion then absolutely do it because as you know with ADHD if you're passionate about something then you're going to do it more you're going to have that drive if you're in a corporate role and you're not enjoying it it's probably because you're bored mm-hmm. and actually you're not living your your sense of purpose and you're not living to your values so when you can align that it actually for me has been so life-changing like I actually don't feel like the same person that I was five years ago and it's taken me on such a an amazing journey to the point that I've also released a journal where uh, you know people can I suppose how I helped myself was I started journaling and I was getting bored with other people's journals because they were the same on every page. So I created um, a journal called Thriving at Life that I've been using to help me focus on things like self-awareness and gratitude and just generally keeping that awareness up from, from a personal perspective, but not just mentally, but physically as well. So that so things like that, like find the tools that work for you, because everything that works for me is not going to work for you. It's not going to work for the people, but you might find little gleams of of inspiration from other people's stories um, that that help you kind of along that that journey. And I do think it's really important to find your tribe. So, you know, finding people that, like on even on social media, like I don't follow loads of accounts that I know that I know will upset me because what's the point of that? And I, I know that's going to exacerbate my anxiety. I know it's going to distract me because i want to defend everybody in that situation. So you know, surrounding yourself with with um, with like-minded people so that when you need the support, it's there. But equally, making sure that you've still got that diversity of thoughts so that you've got people who are very different to you but still share some values that are the same.
0: Yeah. Fantastic advice. And I'm going to link to your journal in the show notes as well. So people have got access to that. You. But you, were, yeah, what you were describing then in the journal is like we're rewiring on neural pathways because if we're focused on gratitude, we're focusing on self-awareness, we're focusing on all the things that have gone right every day our brain is going to start honing in on that as opposed to all the negative stuff and all the things that we can't do and all the things that we haven't got Um, and it's so clever but it's so simple and, and i love it and i just want to say jody you're very inspiring thank you so much for for being here and i'll put all your details in the show notes if anybody wants to send you a message or anything like that then um then they can find you on instagram
1: thank you so much thanks
0: Thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. I hope you found what you were looking for in this conversation and it has helped guide you towards some further self-healing, self-exploration, and most importantly, self-acceptance. And if you have enjoyed this conversation and would like to experience more of my work, such as access to exclusive live workshops and opportunities for group coaching sessions, connecting with other like-minded women, and a general feeling of belonging, please come and check out my monthly membership, the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Collective. I've made it as affordable as possible and I offer you lots of resources and opportunities for connection and support from other women all around the world being diagnosed with ADHD later on in life. I'd absolutely love to see you there. All the details are in this episode's show notes or on my website, adhdwomenswellbeing.co.uk.